you have to delight the user of your product of your solution to the point where they want to talk about it and advocate for it. You also have to understand the people that are going to actually do the purchasing. And if you can get those two things working together, I think you're better off. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in the weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. Hello, leaders. Welcome back. This is Ledge. I am excited to welcome Tracy Craft here today. Tracy, as I warned you, I always have the guests just give a little background intro. Who are you? What do you do? And then we'll dive in. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, Hi, everyone. My name is Tracy Craft. I am currently the Vice President of Global Revenue Marketing here at DemandBase. And that means that I lead our growth function, our integrated marketing function, our events function, and our marketing operations function. Uh, And prior to that, I ran account-based revenue and partner marketing at New Relic, uh, formerly ran all of marketing at Marketa pre-IPO. Uh, and have been really, really lucky in my career to hold leadership roles at very small, scrappy startups, as well as really large multinational companies. So I I think the grounding factor about my experience is I'm really, really passionate about marketing, about revenue generating teams, and I truly believe the impact marketers can have on a company's growth. You have done that a few times before. Well well done. I mean, that, that was polished. Bam, not even a mess. Well, I mean it, I mean it to, to my core. I really do believe in it. It's a, I'm really lucky to be a demand base. Now I get to preach all day long about it. <laughs> right, right. You obviously get to do the evangelism of it. So, you know, as, as I said before off mic, these terms get thrown around a lot. Maybe a vocabulary lesson is the best way to dive in. You know, what is revenue marketing? What is account marketing? And then, we, of course, we get to throw in GTM, which is sort of a favorite that everybody talks about. And I, I mean, I say that and I'm pretty honest that I am not, I'm not really sure what I would do if I was in charge of that. So, yeah. Let's just go in there. All right. Well, we'll give the the dictionary definitions uh, of Tracy Craft's de- dictionary. I'm sure there's other people that are listening that might have a different definition, and that's okay. Uh, when I think about revenue marketing, I think about the responsibility of assisting the company in generating pipeline and revenue for the business. It's also sort of an evolved or more modern term to describe maybe growth marketing or maybe demand gen. You know, we in marketing, we like to evolve and disrupt ourselves over time. Uh, But really, if you think about the, the functions within a marketing organization that are that are customer facing, that are lead or marketing qualified account generating, that are pipeline oriented, those are really what fall under the revenue marketing umbrella. What would that be juxtaposed with? Like your your brand yeah. functions? Then? You could think about your brand functions. You could think about product marketing, although product marketers typically work a lot with customers and industry executives as well. Uh, they are less 
tied directly to the lead generation or the pipeline generation aspect of the the business in my experience. Got it. Okay. Okay. So we're talking about generating actual revenue. That sounds like a good thing. Pay bills, pay salaries, salespeople must love you. I sit at the bottom of the funnel. I certainly want my pipeline filled with calls that are are gonna generate, you know, real opportunities. So then how does that tie into the whole you know, account-based model. Yeah, sure. So I would say if we were having this conversation 10 years ago, I would answer by saying, hey, marketing is going to identify a really hyper-targeted list of accounts that we're going to spend time advertising to, emailing, trying to engage, and hopefully they're going to lead to interested buyers for you, Ms. Mr. Salesperson. Uh, Thankfully, we've evolved. Uh, And now what I like to think about when I think about account-based marketing or as we call it at demand-based account-based experience, it really is more of a customer-centric go-to-market strategy. And so no longer is it just like, hey, marketing, go and ABM this account. It's, hey, sales and marketing team, sales marketing, customer success, pre-sales, post-sales, everybody, let's come together, identify those accounts that are going to be the best fit for our solution uh, and we're going to be the best fit for them and use our data and insights to orchestrate the programs, actions, uh, engagements that are going to support them through a customer lifecycle, not just to first purchase, but beyond that as well. Got it. Okay. Did that help or did that have more terminology that we should define? (laughs) Well, you know, it gets, it gets to like, the complexity of how all the interactions and channels and stuff has just grown and grown and grown. And I think that's why you see the the footprint of marketing becomes huge, bigger, more technology, and, and also more, you know, sort of gray around the edges or, or, you know, just spreads out. Like you used to be able to say marketing kind of stopped at brand and, you know, then we, we had to add all kinds of other stuff on on top of it. And I, I think that's what makes new marketing, new, new, new marketing, you know, just interesting, right? It touches everything on the experience side. So I would guess that's the problem that a, a demand base, you know, tries to think about and solve. It, I mean, it surely is. And, it, you know, taking even a step back from that, you know, on the B2B side, I think we all used to believe that a customer or a buyer's journey was linear, right? They got a call from a salesperson or they, you know, went to a website, raised their hand and said, yes, I'm interested. And then we started having conversations and through the course of those conversations and demos, et cetera, they became a customer, hopefully. And we now know with all of this data, with all of these different people that are involved in B2B buying cycles, uh, that the journey is mostly uh, anonymous and it's also a lot more complicated and complex than we used to believe. You know, we know that the majority of research happens before a person is ever going to pick up a phone or, you know, fill in a web form to be contacted. And they've likely done their competitive research. They've likely made the majority of their decision. And now it's our job as sales and marketing professionals to go and validate that decision versus what maybe it used to be. And so uh, that orchestration, that integration between sales and marketing teams, revenue generating teams is even more important. Yeah, absolutely. 
I have always been curious now, do you see credence in the there's discussions now about the almost like the collapse of sales and marketing into what some people are calling a commercial function or, um, you know, or sometimes the revenue function owns sales and marketing. And, you know, but of course, then there's the whole product marketing thing, which, you know, it, they like to draw the picture that they're in the middle of all the gears, right? You know, I've seen that graphic before. So, you know, it's just like, how do you organize that? Because you also have this idea of, you know, there's customer facing stuff and and then functional things that we need to do. And it's just becoming like full and large, you know, like you have to make sense of it. And it starts to be like, where do you draw the line? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, you know, I would say if you're asking my opinion, I think if you collapse sales and marketing into one, you're probably doing both functions a disservice. But if you're operating in silos, you're doing a, a disservice as well. And so I recently have been hearing people um, ditch the old language of sales and marketing alignment and really talking about sales and marketing integration. And I'm really been focusing about allowing that to become part of my vernacular as well, because I know that uh, the sales team is bettered by the work that my team and I do. And I know that we are more well-informed about our accounts and their journey by the work that sales professionals do. If we are working in partnership, if we are fully integrated, we have better success in the long run. We've, we've proved that out. Uh, and so I, that's that's the way I, I work with my peers on the sales side as well. Uh, and it's no longer this handoff of like, oh, marketing went and generated some leads. Here you go, sales team, go and close those leads. Uh, it's, hey, what are what accounts are important? What are we going to do to go engage those accounts? How are we going to win that business? It's, it's uh, everybody's raging against the MQL machine. <laughs> well, I think there's still credence to having marketing qualified. leads. It just doesn't stop there. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah, the integration makes a lot of sense. And I have been my sort of passion area is how do we get that one to one intelligence that happens when a, a rep or account manager, AE, what have you, learns a thing? And how do you capture all the things that get learned in that one to one sales context and, you know, sort of run it up the funnel or around the system such that now we have lots of really valuable data points that should drive content, that should drive sales enablement. You know, it's like, no, 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 like this is what we need to be working on, but you need it in aggregate because God bless marketing. You can speak to thousand to one and, you know, we down at the bottom, we get one to one. And isn't there and shouldn't there be a way to capture that intelligence so that we can make better sense of that and educate the prospect at the top so you never get the bad call in the first place. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I think we are really advancing in that direction with all of the data we have at our fingertips. You know, when I started my career, data was a luxury. We, you know, marketing was in the cost center bucket still. I think we've gotten past that, thankfully. And now we've gotten to the place where data, uh, just having some data is table stakes. Table stakes. You're not, you're not special. If you just, you know, have access to your first party data, you're doing what you need to do to survive. 
Uh, and then you layer on some additional information, that third-party data, that intent data, now you become more powerful to your point. And you can really understand the various people that you need to speak with, the interactions they're taking that may be anonymous at first, that become more known to you over time. Uh, and you can have a better, more quality conversation with the person or people that you need to versus just anybody that you may have contact data for. Uh, and so we're, I think we're getting there. And I, you know, one of the ways we, you know, my team and I try to take that, you know, data driven model and customize it is we hold what we call ABX standups. And so, you know, I'll meet or someone on my team will meet with a sales rep and their SDR and we'll talk about the information and experience of the accounts that they've been reaching out to, see if those trends occur with other conversations around our, our sales team and then try some new stuff in marketing to see if it's, you know, if it's true for the entire audience. So there, there is still that art and science component as well. Right. Yeah, I bet that's true. Is it? And, and like, just like you said there, it's like so much technology can be in place and you're having human standups still because you just can't technology your way out of this one way or another data is qualitative and, you know, or, or at least we're trying to turn all those inputs into something that we can key off of. Um, I guess it's no longer, you know, sort of madman, uh, what madman liquor and guessing, but you know, so <laughs> yeah, I'd say we're no longer hunch based. We've got more data to help us, uh, but we still got our instincts and our creativity to guide us when we want to take some bets and and try some new some new tactics and approaches. Sure. So you talked about your career journey. I'd love to get into you know some lessons learned, and I mean you're you know you've done an amazing thing working for 15 different organizations that are somehow related to the, the marketing and technology and like all the way up through and consulting. And what are those key points that you've driven up to the, the top of, of your experience? Yeah, I think they come into a, a, a couple of things. You know, I think one, when I started my career, I was unique in that I went to school for actually what I do. I think maybe that's becoming more normal these days. I don't know. I haven't seen data, but I was pretty steadfast in my convictions around like, hey, I want a business degree. I want to go into marketing. Uh, and I really loved the sort of sociological components of it, right? So what is going to make groups of people do things? Like what influences them? Why do they do? Why do they tick? And so it's probably no surprise that that's why I ended up in revenue marketing because I'm curious about what moves people. And I held true to those convictions, but I think the lesson learned as I you know, talk to people that I mentor today or others that are starting their career is I did my best to say yes when given opportunities. Uh, and that doesn't mean burning myself out or, or you know, burning the candle at both ends. It just means that when I felt compelled to try something, I didn't veer away from the fear of change or the fear of not knowing. Uh, and so I, I really stepped into that discomfort so that I could learn and get that experience. I also, you know, about a few years into my career, I had a really terrible experience with a manager who just 
was did all of the things that, you know, when you read leadership books, you should not do was like the poster child of what not to do. And the old adage is, you know, don't run away from a job, run to something else. And I call BS on that. I ran as fast away from that job as I possibly could because it was so painful to be there personally, professionally, emotionally, et cetera. And I ran to the first job I could find. And I am so lucky that I did. I found a mentor, someone that I still keep in touch with today who taught me a lot about different aspects of marketing, taught me a lot about taking, uh, taught me a lot about taking risk, uh, cared for me as an individual, challenged me to try new things. And, you know, while that probably wasn't going to ever be my dream job, it really kind of was in all of those other fashions. And so I guess the lesson there is if you're, if you're in a job that is not feeding you, whether it be the role you're doing or the people you're surrounded by, it's okay to walk away and, and look for something that fulfills you in a, in a different way. And through those experiences, I took the opportunity to find roles that either added a new skill or added a different layer of management or, you know, tried a different size of company. As I mentioned, I've been really lucky to sit in those really scrappy early stage companies, you know, seed round, series A round companies that are just figuring everything out and also been a part of larger organizations where what you have to figure out is working with people and collaborating and navigating big problems. I think those two things of like really understanding what you're interested in and what you, how you want to learn and grow and then not being afraid to do it when you're given the opportunity or when you see it. What's the discovery process as you look back for, you know, I, cause I talk to a lot of people, I do a little mentoring myself, right? And it's just like, well, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what my path is. You know, I, I, move into jobs and I try some things nothing like I can't identify what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, is, did you have that experience ever or was it, it just happened to nail it right away? I, I would say maybe a little bit of both. I, I think I fell into some of what I do. I, you know, I grew up in the Bay area and never would have thought I was going to land in technology marketing, which seems silly given it's the Bay area, but I did. And I realized that like, okay, I kind of like it. So sure. That sort of like was something I fell into, but then I started to really understand myself as a person. Like I mentioned, really enjoying what makes people tick, what makes them move, and what are the different areas of marketing that allow me to get curious about that, potentially influence that. I'm also a lifelong athlete, so I've got some competitive spirit as well. And so seeing growth in terms of pipeline and revenue is, you know, an indicator of winning in some respects and, you know, what, what athlete doesn't like to win. So I, I sort of looked inside, reflected about like, what are these things that make me tick as an individual and then sort of explore different areas within marketing that were aligned with that. Right. Absolutely. And did you ever encounter folks along the way that just were a totally different model that you had to learn how to manage and lead that are just like, they do not fit these things, but they're still like, you know, high performers like that. And if I look back in my career, I, I had to become honest about that. I was just like, I don't understand these people, but they really are good at this thing. 
and I know I need the thing, but managing and leading is, is hard in that, that way. You can't just, uh, you know, you can read endless articles, right? I can't hire a bunch of people who are just like me, but the only way I've ever seen the world is through my lens. So learning another lens, I think is that, that leadership burden and challenge. Yeah, I, I could not agree more. And I, I think early in my people management uh, years, I, I certainly went through that, like did some like hard skill development on the job. But I'll, I'll tell you right now, my team, I'm, I'm so lucky to have the team that I have today. They're, they're not just so amazingly talented, but, and great, great people, but we are all very different, not just, you know, walks of life, cultures, personalities, introverts, extroverts, all of it. Uh, and I'm here to say, you know, again, Tracy Craft rule book that that diversity, that difference, that variance, that contrast really, really makes us better. I've had to admit the things that I'm okay with being different, right? Uh, I know that I root my decisions around data. I love looking at the numbers. I love seeing how things move in and out. I'm not as pithy and as creative and the big ideas don't come out in these like really cool, innovative ways for me. I have people on my team that are much better than that. And I love that we can complement each other in that way. You know, if you'd asked me 20 years ago how that felt, I would say like, oh no, I should know how to do that too, or I should be doing that too. Uh, today, I, I know that actually we're stronger because I have my strengths over here and these people have their strengths over there. That doesn't mean we don't have healthy debates at times though. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, right. And that constructive debate is essentially the whole point. And then how do you facilitate that? So, you know, everybody feels heard and it doesn't feel like, you know, even when I, someone doesn't get to do the thing that they really, really want to do, they kind of benefit from being able to, to pitch it. I'm sure you've had the experience I have too, or just like, I know we're never going to do this thing, but I need to go through this pitch process in order to honor, you know, that, that debate. And, you have to be able to train yourself, right? To say like, that's not a waste of time because of the investment that we're putting into the learning together. But uh, I'm sure as a data-driven like go-getter, you know, it's sort of just like, oh my gosh, we could skip this whole thing. And I know we could, but we're not gonna right now. So. <laughs> I, I mean, the, the phrase disagree and commit uh, doesn't <laughs> like, exist for a reason, right? But you also, as you're going through your career, you also have to know when you swing for the fences and and still make your pitch and and you know sometimes that works out and sometimes it doesn't um the, the one thing you know as as a leader of people and as a leader of my team i really try to underscore is that there are no bad ideas and they can come from anywhere and everywhere so i want to hear it I, i'm i'm here for that big idea and i i say exactly what you said that it may not be something we do right now but i still want to hear your voice. Uh, I find it valuable. Uh, so yeah, just, just bring them on. Right. And, and you probably had benefited from somebody listening to you at some point, you know, where they probably didn't think they were going to do that thing. And then it mattered and, you know, being able to model that, that forward. Talk to me about the evolution to mentor, you know, cause I think that that 
that's an interesting place. A lot of people go like, well, I, I want to, I don't feel like I know that much wisdom right now. And, you know, like, I, I still feel like I want to get mentored. And yet, you know, they're like, geez, I'm like 20 some odd years deep in this now. And, you know, I should be contributing as, as well. And I'm going to guess we're of similar career vintage. Like I sometimes feel stuck in the middle there. It's like, I, the more I know, the the more I'm certain that I don't know everything and I'm less arrogant and, you know, than I used to be. <laughs> and so now what do I have to offer? <laughs> you know, like w- wisdom becomes just the realization that I, I know a lot less than I thought I did. So. Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I've talked about a couple of lessons that I've learned along the way. And, you know, when, when people come uh, looking for a mentor or just even wanting to have a conversation about their own career, their own career growth, I find it to be similar to what you were describing. It's a great learning experience for me as well. I reflect on like some areas of opportunity that I can grow into and I take a step back from the day-to-day operations of a revenue team or a marketing team and, and really get back into like, what are the motivators for us as people for this individual and try to talk to them at the the human level first. And then we can always, we can always talk about marketing disciplines and tactics and ideas after that. I also find it really important to, to continue searching for uh, coaches and mentors for myself the mentors that were uh, the right fit for me 20 years ago are different today. And given my own desire to grow and evolve, you know, I, I try to keep an honest look in the mirror at myself and say, okay, well, there are still some areas, there are plenty of areas of opportunity for me to continue to grow as well. I think the intention be- behind wanting to help others in a very open and sincere way is sort of where it all starts and ends. Absolutely. And you talked a little bit about being an athlete. I spent my years as an endurance athlete. I pretty much have given up on uh, being a useful athlete, but you know, I, I did my 30,000 miles of running at one point or another. And I, I'm always curious to see like, how does that still, you know, impact you probably, you know, sort of going back. Like I, I know having hammered out the miles in many ways gave me endurance to put up with stuff that I couldn't. And at the same time, you know, endurance isn't the greatest thing in the world because you put up with a bunch of pain and crap that maybe you could have just made a decision instead of just putting it up with it. Yeah. Yeah. I I love this analogy. So quickly, I, I swam competitively for 15 years of my life. I played water polo competitively for five years of my life. And I loved both of those sports because of the team and individual nature of them. After a while, after school, after that horrible job I mentioned, I wasn't as healthy as I wanted to be. I was not healthy at all. And so I've kind of given up that aspect of my life. And um, when I made that switch, I was able to re re. Uh, discover that part of my personality and began weightlifting, uh, began doing CrossFit, uh, began working with a coach, began doing yoga. And all of those different modalities, one felt so good um, from a physical health standpoint, 
but they also had their mental benefits when it came to work. So uh, in weightlifting, you only do so many lifts, fail at them before you decide not to do that lift the rest of the day. Uh, and you know, you can apply that to sort of your, your go-to-market strategy. If you're continuing to do the same thing and it's not working, it means you got to stop that thing and evaluate what's going on. Doesn't mean you give up. It just means you got to understand it better. Uh, and then maybe come back to it. You know, yoga swimming has a different sort of application here where it allows you that time, um, to really reflect on, uh, the core competencies of what is important and how you're going to prioritize. You know, when I'm in the pool, when I'm doing laps, there's no music, there's, there's no distraction, there's nothing. All you can really think about is what's at the forefront of your mind. And is that the thing that feels like it's going to be most important or is it something that you need to deprioritize and bring that level of clarity to your own day-to-day -day in, your, in your world and the endless lists of to-dos? Um, that's, that's one way I like to, you know, one way I can think clearly on the job is, look, the second I decide to do something, I'm inherently deciding to do, not do something else. That, you know, I sort of bring that level of prioritization and that clarity of thinking. I think my my time doing yoga and swimming has really allowed me to have that mental model. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing. So I told you at the beginning, I usually ask all the guests to uh, put on your, I call it the futurist hat, but I, I believe that we all are, are under such a massive change now that I'm not talking about like what's going to happen in you know, 2050, I'm talking about what's going to happen in the next two or three years. And what, what do you think that everybody should have on, on their radar, just like to pay attention to micro macro what's important? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm going to keep it at sort of the, like the functional level and give you some, some thoughts there. Uh, I already told you that I don't think sales and marketing should converge into a single revenue organization. So I'm going to stay with that. I don't, you know, we'll see if that comes to fruition or not, but I will say that, you know, we've seen a lot in the industries, especially in technology around the notion of product led growth. I like to think of it as user led growth and account based marketing, especially in B2B. And the way people have been thinking about it historically has been sort of like we either have a a user-led growth model or we have an account first model. And I think, you know, smart companies of varying sizes are going to realize that it has to be both. You have to delight the user of your product of your solution to the point where they want to talk about it and advocate for it. You also have to understand the people that are going to actually do the purchasing. Uh, and if you can get those two things working together, I think you're better off. And I think we're moving that way in the next couple of years for sure. I also think that, and we talked about data so data is everywhere. We all know this as professionals, especially as technology professionals. Uh, but I will say that we need to move from data being just this thing we utilize to being a competitive advantage for revenue marketing organizations. So how are we going to start using all of this data to do better for our customers, for our accounts, for our businesses? Like not just, hey, who looks like a good fit, but like, 
really thinking about data differently. And I think our disciplines in sales and marketing, especially, are becoming a little bit more advanced in that way. Uh, you know, we're becoming a little bit, not just more analytical, not just more data-driven in our decision-making, but we need to understand sort of the ins and outs of this data a little bit better uh, to to create that competitive advantage for ourselves. So those are kind of my two functional things where I think we're heading if we're, if we're gonna continue to do things well. Fantastic, thank you. Tracy, it's a joy to have you on. Love the insights, love the stories. If anyone out there is resonating and wants to reach out to you, how what's the best way to do that? You can absolutely find me on LinkedIn under Tracy Craft, or you can reach me at tcraft.demandbase.com. Would love to continue the conversation with anyone that's interested. I could go on about this stuff all day long. It truly is a lot of fun for me. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.